according to this report that was done in 2022. Um, more than a quarter of South Africans suffer from depression. That was a study done by WITS. Okay, so, you know, we, we're talking one in four people, probably in this room, suffering some, from some kind of mental illness. Now, COVID in 2020 worsened this problem hugely, okay, because of the uncertainty of COVID, the fear surrounding COVID, and not only that, but the way that COVID was dealt with, the lockdowns, the social isolation, the um, gaps in people's education, so that children missed out on whole parts of school, little ones didn't go to nursery school, didn't hear people talking to them, didn't see people's faces because of the masks. Those are serious problems because we know that we need human interaction to be well in our minds. There's also socioeconomic problems. So people lost their jobs. People, there are less jobs now than there were before COVID. There was online schooling. So all of these factors, all of these circumstances on the outside put pressure on us. And when we're under pressure, we often fall down into depression, into despair, into despondency. And the way that our society deals with it is we deal with it by prescribing medication, okay? So generally, if you are in a bad enough state, if you're being diagnosed with clinical depression, you will be given SSRIs, which are called um, uh, uh, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. And basically, they will try and make more serotonin available in your brain, which they think is the reason why somebody has depression. In fact, that has never really been proven, but people do say they feel better when they've taken, when they're on an SSRI in general. But they have side effects. Often then you'd have to have a benzodiazepine, which is the thing to tranquilize you and calm you down. Sometimes they have really bad side effects, even thoughts of suicide. So they can make things even worse. So the real problem is that modern healthcare treats depression and anxiety as a physical problem, only a physical problem. It's to do with your body and your brain. And all we can try and do is change that chemical imbalance to make you more balanced, okay? Now, I'm not knocking medication at all, but medication might be the thing that somebody needs just to stabilize them so that they can work on deeper issues. That's my view on medication. It is not a silver bullet. It's not something that gives you an instant cure. You have to keep climbing the mountain. You have to keep putting one step in front of the other. You can't be a victim of mental health and say, I'll let go and let God, or I'll let go and let the medication fix me. Because the, the reality is that that's not what's happening. When you notice people with depression, very often they go further and further down. And sadly, we have a very high suicide rate now. But, you know, this mental health crisis has been coming for a long time, right? And it's been coming with the breakdown of the many things that God has put in place so that we stay in his circle of blessing and we stay healthy and well. So if you look at the 1960s, last century, there was a big push for happiness. People called it the pursuit of happiness. We're all looking for happiness. 
but it was happiness outside of God. It was happiness on our own terms. I put myself first. I look for pleasures for myself. I find meaning for myself. I make my own meaning and my own purpose in life. And since the 1960s, things haven't gone very well for us. So from 1960 to the year 2000, those are 40 years, the divorce rate has doubled. Suicide teen, teen, well, teen suicide rate has tripled. Violent crime has quadrupled. The prison population has gone up five times. Births outside of marriage, so with, to a single mom, has gone up six times. And people living with each other without being married, seven times. So that's what's happened since we fixated on this idea of my happiness, on my terms. And so, as a result, people have become more and more and more miserable. And we add to that technology, which has also separated us from people, that is a massive, massive factor. That is in your generation, Gen Z, who, who are probably more affected by mental illness than any other generation. You call the digital natives because you were born with a screen in your hand <laughs> virtually. You know, you never knew a life before technology. And that plays a massive role, not just well, in our bodies, but also in our souls. Okay, and I'm going to explain a bit about that. So let's just look at what depression is. The next slide just looks at what depression is. So the Bible talks a lot about depression. Like Proverbs says, the spirit of a man will endure his sickness, but a broken spirit, who may bear it? A broken spirit. Depression is much more than just feeling a bit down or moody. Okay, we all get that. We're a little bit anxious. It's much more than that. Okay? There's no brain scan that can diagnose it. There's no blood test that can diagnose it. But when you go to a doctor, they have a set of a collection of symptoms. And if you have most of these, say maybe not two of them, but most of them, then you will, and you have it for more than two weeks, you'll be diagnosed with clinical depression. And the symptoms are, um, you basically, you lose motivation for life, so you've got no reason to get out of bed, to go to work, to love, to, leave, to live. You have extreme fatigue, like inexplainable fatigue. You just want to sleep all the time, but sometimes you can't even sleep. Your appetite gets affected. Either you want to eat very much or nothing at all, so you often lose weight. You have this terrible hopelessness, a sense of doom, a feeling that everything in the world is bad. No matter what someone tells you, it, you always have an optimistic view of life. You have feelings of worthlessness. Like, you start to think things like, the world would be better off without me. My family would be better off without me. I'm just a burden to them. What do I contribute? I have nothing to offer the world. A sense of inadequacy, like I'm just not enough. You can have suicidal thoughts. You can have dull pain all the time. Um, I'll just speak from my own personal experience. So I speak to you as a person who has suffered from depression. And I would call myself a recovering depressive. I'm definitely not depressed, but I, I, am, I am on that mountain, and I'm climbing, 
Okay, I'm attached to that rope, and I'm not going down. But I can tell you I know those feelings. After about 18 months of being really ill and not being able to eat anything, having a really bad digestive system where I couldn't eat food, I, I couldn't drink anything. When I did that, my heart started to race. My throat felt like it was closing up, like I was being choked all the time. I had pain in my stomach all the time. And after living like that for a long time, I started to think I'm never going to get better. I'm just, this is me forever. And then the depression hit in, set in. Where every day at about three o'clock in the afternoon, I felt a terrible sense of doom and darkness. Like I cannot get up. I cannot do anything for my children, for anybody. And I realized that I was going down, you know, that this was serious, that if I carried on thinking like this, um, I could feel like I wanted to take my life. I didn't feel like my life was worth living. And I realized how serious it is. So these thoughts, these, these, this mood that carries on with these intense feelings, believe me, they are real. Someone is not making this up. I've had it before. And the real, the real problem with it is that once you have all these symptoms, you say, well, what is the solution? What is the way up when I'm feeling like this? And so healthcare gives us lots of labels. They can say you've got clinical depression, maybe you've got major depressive disorder, you've got substance-induced depressive disorder, maybe you've taken drugs and that's the reason why you're there. And then they're just brain disorders that we can have, physical problems that give you depression, like epilepsy, like Huntington's disease, like someone who has a brain injury and a concussion. They can get serious depression from that. Um, a hematoma or, or a tumor in the brain. So there are physical elements to this problem, but then I believe there are also spiritual elements. So let's look at the Bible and how it sees depression. The first thing that we must realize, the word depression is not actually in the Bible, but there are plenty of words like it. Despair, we see the words like sorrow, anguish, um, terror, the terror of the night, grief, fear. All of these words help to describe some of those symptoms that we spoke about. Okay, So the Bible does speak about it, but indirectly. So we see, for example, um, Psalm 42, 11 where David says to himself, he's being chased by Saul, right? He's living as a fugitive in the mountains. He's, he's lost everything. He's, he's, he's lost um, all security in life, okay? And he then, he then speaks to God. Psalm 42 and 43 are wonderful psalms to go to if you have depression. But in there, David speaks to himself and he says, why are you so downcast, my soul? Why are you disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So what is, what is David doing in that, in that verse, in, in that psalm? What do you think he's doing? First of all, who is he talking to? He's talking to God. The psalms are prayers, right? Then he's talking to himself as well. And he's asking himself, why are you so downcast? Why are you, why are you troubled? And then he's preaching to himself. 
And he's saying, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So he's actually, he's praising God even though he doesn't feel like praising God, isn't he? Praise is not a feeling. Praise is an action. He's doing what he knows to be right because he knows God is his Savior. And he makes God bigger. And he makes himself smaller and his problems smaller. That's, that's David's um, solution if you read the Psalms. If you read Psalm 88, it's the most depressing, dark psalm of all. But the wonderful thing is that God recognizes a state where a person is so in darkness that they can't get out of it, that they are actually, they are, they are unable to see the light. And in Psalm 88 is a guy called Heman the Israelite. Israelite. He's, he's the director of music. And, and he speaks about the darkness that is everywhere around him. He says, he says, you have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. He's talking to God. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I'm confined and cannot escape. It's a terrible, terrible picture, isn't it? So he has no friends, okay? He feels betrayed by people. He feels ugly to people and unworthy. He feels that this is oppressive, that even God's hand is lying on him. And he feels overwhelmed, like he's in the waves, and the waves are just going over his head. Just a show of hands, has anyone ever felt like that? <laughs> Am I the only one? Okay, I'll, I'll own it boldly. Well, I think all of us can relate to that. And you know, he ends the psalm as bleakly as he started. He says, darkness is my only friend. That's, a, that's his, his honest feelings. But the wonderful thing in the Bible is that it's not afraid to, to be honest about these things that we go through. The wonderful thing about He-Man, the Ezraite, I'm going to meet him in heaven one day, and I'm going to ask him, did you ever find hope? But the wonderful thing is he went to God with his struggles. So there we see that, that depression is described in the Bible, okay? But there's some hope. So we see that even Jesus felt sorrow, terrible anguish, that we would, we would call depression, actually. Before he went to the cross, he was dreading what he had to go through. Maybe, Jason, would you read that for us? Matthew 26, verse, the one that I printed on the paper. Okay. He took Peter, two sons of Zebedee, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watching me. Going to the Father, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, May this cup be taken from you, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch for me? For what hour do you ask me? Watch and pray, so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Thank you, Jason. You know, when, when, when I had depression, I took great... I took great consolation and comfort from that passage. 
I tell you what I did when I felt like I couldn't go on anymore and I thought I need to do something here. I started to really, really dig into the, into the scriptures, into the word of God, and find any hope that I could find in there. Any verses that stood out to me, that reminded me of who God was, who God is, his faithfulness, I, I wrote down. And I wrote down this passage, actually, because it reminded me how important people are in depression. You know, there's Jesus, and he takes his disciples, his most, his closest friends with him to come and pray with him in the garden. They don't do very well at it. They fall asleep. But he takes his friends because, you know, when we that mountain climber climbing up the, the rock face, sometimes we get frozen stiff. We get paralyzed. We get vertigo. We stand on a ledge and think, I can't go on anymore. And then often a fellow climber comes next to you, offers you an energy bar, reminds you of who's up there holding the rope, sings a song about what's up there with you, you know, sings some hymns with you, prays with you. That's what Jesus needed. He needed his friends with him. And do you notice the words there that describe his terrible feelings? Overwhelmed with sorrow. At the point of death, that's how he felt. The point of death fell with his face to the ground and he prays to his father. You know, I definitely got to that place where I fell with my face to the ground, literally, bodily. And then he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Remembering something. We may know things in our head. We may believe things with all our heart. But our body is weak. And just like the disciples fell asleep, we may, we may really battle in depression and we may be tempted to sin, to forget God, to lose our trust in Him, to lose hope. Okay? Those are the things that happen when we have depression, is that we are weak in that moment. So Jesus had depression, and He lets us know that our flesh is weak. But then we read Hebrews 5 verse 7, which I just love. It's a commentary on Jesus and the way that he was sorrowful, and especially in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Hebrews 5 verse 7, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. I love those four words. And he was heard. That is the picture of all of us. If you are a Christian and you come to God with your fervent cries, with your petitions, petition is another word for supplication, meaning you come over and over and over again, you will be heard. God hears your prayers. And that really is is the picture that it gave of Jesus himself. He was heard by his heavenly father, even though he went to the cross, even though he suffered and died and went through the worst anguish and worst agony you could ever, ever imagine. God heard his prayers. And the wonderful thing about the gospel, and I call the gospel that rope that we are holding onto. The gospel is the rope. That equipment that we're putting around us is the gospel. And the wonderful thing of the gospel is this. 
out of the worst thing that could ever happen to a person in the whole of history, the crucifixion, God brought about the best thing that has ever happened in the whole of history, which is the salvation of all the sons and daughters of God, all the people around the world through the ages, through centuries and centuries, who have known God. And you know what? The wonderful thing is that even the people suffering with depression are going to get to the top of that mountain. You know, the most wonderful preacher probably that the world has ever seen, a man called Charles Haddon Spurgeon, fantastic preacher. He had thousands of people who came to listen to him, open air, in the open. He suffered from depression his whole life. He even used to tell his congregation of it. He said, I hope you never feel like I feel. But guess what? He kept preaching. He kept telling people the good news. He didn't let those feelings cripple him. He had the most terrible PTSD. Once, there was a terrible fire when he was preaching. And he didn't realize the fire was happening because it was such a huge crowd of people. And many people were burned to death in that fire. And he was criticized terribly afterwards. People said he was a murderer. They said he had carried on preaching and hadn't cared about those people. Of course, that wasn't true, but it, it, it was so hurtful to him, you know, that this could happen. Do you know that 25 years later, he still had PTSD from that fire? The trauma, he kept reliving it. He would have flashbacks, even when he was preaching in front of all those people. But it didn't cripple him. He kept onwards and upwards. He obeyed God, not his feelings. And that is really something we've got to take from these examples that we've talking, talked about. Even Winston Churchill was a terrible depressive. And he was one of the most wonderful prime ministers in the world. So, here's some biblical perspectives on mental health. Right, first we must realize that human beings are made up of body and soul. When I say body and soul, body and brain are together, right? Your brain is just an organ of your body. It's not separate, right? But you're also made up of soul. Now, soul is the inner person. It includes your heart, not your physical heart, but when the Bible talks about your heart, right? Your spirit, your will, your mind. It's what goes on inside here, okay, that other people can't see. And your emotions are included in your soul, right? So the Bible says there are two parts of a person, and your body and your soul are interconnected. And they interact with your environment as well, okay? So we can see, for example, like for me, I was sick in my body. I was, I was truly sick in my body. But it had a connection with my mind. My mind started to become depressed. My soul started to become depressed, right? And many times our environment is included, like that fire that Spurgeon went through. That was his environment. It was a trauma. It was something that happened to him, right? And it's all interconnected. So we are complex beings. We, we're not just one or the other, okay? The second thing the Bible tells us is that we are sinners, okay? It says that we are born and conceived in sin. And sin distorts everything. 
It distorts the way we see our situation, the way we interpret it. It distorts our identity, how we see ourselves. Okay? It kidnaps our hope. Um, it distorts the way we handle our troubles. It really is our major problem in life. It's the biggest disease. It's more than mental health. We actually need, need rescue from our sin. And so, if we, if we understand that about ourselves, right, when we are in depression, sin will suggest lies to ourselves, okay? We will have lies. We will, we will want to believe lies. Like, I can't help being depressed. I'll always be like that. I'm just a depressed person. I have a diagnosis of depression, therefore I'll always have it. I really can't respond any differently when my hormones are up and down. Anyone use that one? <laughs> I shouldn't have to suffer like this. Uh, my sin isn't really that bad. I can't control my emotions. I'm just an emotional person. There's nothing I can do about it. Those are the kinds of lies that we will begin to believe when we're depressed. My life isn't worth anything. So we really need to understand that sin distorts the way that we handle difficult situations, right? And, the, and it changes the way we see them. So instead of having perspective on life and seeing, well, it's not all that bad when I fail a test, or I didn't get into the course that I wanted to get into, that hope or dream was shattered. Jason shared with us his own story of his knee and what that's done to his own dreams. Yes, those things may happen, but sin in us distorts the way we see it. It makes us believe that life is hopeless, that there's nothing we can do, that there's no good on the other side. We can't blame the brain for everything. So there are brain disorders, like I've said, like Parkinson's, like, like um, epilepsy, a tumor, all those things. But a medical label is not a cure, and it also doesn't give us an excuse to behave as, if, as we want to when we're depressed. The other thing we must realize is sorrow is sometimes appropriate and right. It's not always wrong. It's not always sinful. So grief is an appropriate response when someone dies. Jesus grieved at Lazarus's grave. The other thing the Bible tells us is that no temptation can force us to sin. No human weakness can force us into sin. And this was also something that spoke very powerfully to me when I had depression. I read a book called Winning Over Depression. And the one verse that was in that book was this one. one Corinthians 10 verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. That means that there's nothing very special about your temptation, about your situation. Other people have also had depression and do have depression. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. That's the promise. The promise is that you will never be forced to sin in your depression. Pain cannot rule your life. Okay? It does not have that power over you. That's a lie if we believe that. We do not need to give in to the temptation. 
God will provide a way out. We need to find that way out. We need to ask him, what do you say I must do in this situation? How do you see my circumstances? And please, Lord, give me the power to do what I can't do myself because my body is too weak to do this. There is no instant fix for depression. We must do battle against it and we must keep seeking the Lord in it. That's what Psalm 88 is telling us. You keep going. You keep moving onward and upward. You keep climbing, right? Because it's not going to give in without a fight. And depression doesn't play fair. It plays nasty. It can lead you down into a, a very deep and dark hole. That canyon at the bottom of that mountain is a place where there's no food and water and where you will be covered with snow. You, you, you can even... You can even die from depression, okay? Because suicide can come from depression. I've known several people who have taken their own lives because that's how far they've gone. So it doesn't play fair. It plays nasty. And you've got to fight. And to remember the big promise that all suffering, including depression, is purposeful for a Christian. Right? Romans 8, verse 28 and 29. And we know that God is able to make all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose so that we might be made to conform to the likeness of Jesus. That is his purpose for us, to grow, to become more like Jesus, to get character from it, to grow stronger, to be more resilient. So let me tell you in my own life, my depression is having brought it to the Lord, having run to him. There was a time where all I did was I stood on my bed with all the verses that I'd written down in my little box and I read them aloud one by one as though I was going to war. I was going to battle against, against this darkness. And I can tell you, I remember a day when the darkness left. It was, it was as, as quick and sudden as that. The, the emotional, the soul darkness left at one point, and I still had to struggle with the physical elements of, of my sickness, but I didn't have that terrible doom because I went to war with it, with God's promises and God's power. And I remembered that there's some good coming out of this. I prayed that, Lord, make me more Christ-like. I'm not as afraid of people anymore after that. You know, I don't care as much what people think. I don't need approval as much. I, I don't, I don't uh, battle so much with little things. I'm not such a perfectionist anymore, you know, because I've realized I don't have to be, right? I, I don't suffer with that feeling of unworthiness anymore because I remember Jesus is worth it. He's worthy. I don't have to be worthy. I don't think I'm not enough anymore because Jesus is enough for me. And he was all I had. And that's what, that is what eventually released me from that captivity of darkness. There's a wonderful passage. The next slide is, is a passage from Jeremiah, and it's a tale of two trees. It's Jeremiah 17, verse 5 to 8. This picture is a picture of two trees that are in similar environments. So you'll see on the, on the picture on the screen, there's one tree that looks like it's dead, doesn't it? dry and dead in the desert, in the wilderness. And then the bottom one, it's also a wilderness, 
But do you notice it's green? Okay, it's green. Same environment, different tree. Okay, so let me read to you the tale of two trees. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. Horrible picture, isn't it? A salt land where no one lives, dry, barren. But blessed is the man, the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. It, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Now that's a passage to put on your mirror, to put on your wall. Two trees, both in the desert. They both have heat and drought. Did you notice that? The year of drought, the heat. But the second one says, it will not fear when the heat comes. It has no worries in a year of drought. Fear, anxiety, depression, they're all there. But this tree, because it's trusting in the Lord, where its roots are planted by the stream. Who called himself the living water? Jesus. That's right. Remember with the woman at the well? <laughs> yeah, you got that answer. The woman at the well, she, she, she was a woman who had no hope in life. And Jesus said, I will give you water, and this water, you will never be thirsty again. It will be a well that never runs dry. Jesus is that living water. And that's the difference between the two trees. The one is cursed, the one is blessed. The one is barren, the one is fruitful. Right? The one is dry, the other one is green and full of life. The one has worries and anxieties and eaten up with all of that. The other one has none, even though the heat and the drought come. And the wastelands is this life. Sorry to burst your bubble, but we are living in the wastelands. We're living in the, in the now, but not yet. We're living in the wilderness. The picture of the Israelites walking through the wilderness is the picture of us in this life. We have pain, we have sickness, we have death, we lose our jobs, we lose our joy. We have so many things in this world that can take away our peace. But this tree has peace and life. Okay, because what's the difference? What is that first line? What is the difference between those two first lines? One trusts in man for his strength. Flesh, man, things, stuff, people, right? The other one trusts in God, okay? And the confidence is in the Lord and specifically for us in Christ because he's the living water and he's the way that we can reach the Father, that we can be at peace with God and therefore have inner peace that's so elusive. Trust in the Lord, and that means trust that the Lord is wise, that he's good, that he's caring, that he's sovereign, that he's powerful, that he sees everything. He sees your distress. Trusting in his character and his faithfulness. God becomes big 
and we become small. That's the difference between those two trees. And so we have fruitful suffering instead of barren suffering. Okay? Because your circumstances right now might not be easy. You've got exams. Grade 11s are facing some of the biggest exams of their lives because you've got to use these to get into the next stage. That, that's that's fear-inducing, you know? Matrix, you've got your whole life ahead of you and everyone's asking you, what are you going to do? What are you going to be? And you have no idea. Yeah, I get it. That's, <laughs> that's fairly scary. But you see, we're not in the desert on our own. You put your roots deeply into Christ and into his promises and you'll be like that green tree. You'll have a harvest. Okay, next slide. There are two ways to live. If you look at the first picture, it's a picture of man without God. The E for, it stands for ego and that's self. And the problem is that when we live for ourselves, when we make our own meaning, that was the first lie that Satan told Eve, if you eat of this fruit, you will be like God and you will know good and evil. If you are your own meaning maker, you make your own identity, you, you, you make your own purpose in life, you will be like that person who's basically living for yourself. Self is on the throne. Ego is on the throne. And there are a whole lot of things that go with that life. You must just know that that is, is basically all of, of life is filtered through yourself, your own eyes. And what do you get there? Fear, guilt, frustration, futility, confusion, depression. That is, that is man without God. The second picture in front of, of that person is the cross, right? Ego is under the throne. You get it? Self is underneath. And there you get pardon, you get peace, you get power, you get joy, you get purpose you get confidence. Those are the things that come from putting the Lord first, worshiping God. And really, depression is speaking something to you. You must hear what it's saying. Because many, many times, it is because we have a false God in our lives. We are worshiping something other than God. And we have huge resources to live a fruitful life. So, so, you know what, you know what um, Paul says about the Christian life? He says, he is able, this is God, to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having everything you need, you will abound in every good work. Is there any situation that he cannot give you grace for? Not one situation. 2 Peter 1 verse 3 says his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. But what we need to remember, and the next slide shows us this, is that it's gradual pro progress, not instant perfection. Remember I said to you at the beginning, there's not an instant fix here. Look at this picture. This picture is showing you what is called sanctification. Okay? where God works in us through his Holy Spirit to make us more like Christ. 
until that time when we are taken to glory. So the first line at the top is justification. We are declared righteous before God. When you come and you bring Jesus your sins, when you ask for forgiveness, when you come to him and you say, Lord, I can't save myself. You are my savior. You are justified. You are made right with God. You are at peace with God. But now your Christian life is the line below, the jagged line, right? It's like climbing a mountain, isn't it? Up, get up, then you might have to stay on a little plateau for a while and then up a little bit. That's the picture. It's not perfection. It's progress. And you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and work for his good pleasure. So there's the picture of salvation, and there's the picture of how we grow. I'm going to leave the next slide because I'm thinking we're running out of time here. But what you need to do in depression is you need to look at what is at the heart of it. What are the roots that are below the surface in your own heart? Because there are so many things that could be causing depression. So if I were counseling you, I would want to get to those roots. I would want to say, what is it that is, is, is everything to you? What is it that is causing your depression, that is causing you to feel that there is no hope? Because there are so many things that we could have. It could be guilt. It could be false guilt. It could be some dreams or desires that we have instead of trusting God's purposes for our lives. Okay, when those dreams become too big, they become idols. It could be self-pity. We just feel very much like the victim. And we feel God doesn't love us anymore. It could be lies, you know, the lies that we have, that we, that we believe, you know, that we, we, we think, like, I'm not worthy. It could be because we've been irresponsible. We haven't used our time way, properly, right? We've been streaming and scrolling, and now we, we're facing exams, and we haven't learned, and we're not prepared. We might have sin to confess, because we haven't lived in a way that is responsible. We haven't been good stewards of what God has given us. We could have regret. We could think of something in the past that has been done to us. We've been sinned against. Some of you might even have been abused when you were children. You might have been abandoned. Things like that might still be happening to you. You've been mistreated. And those things can leave us with a great sense of depression. So we need to, we need to unpack those, those things and we need to put them in the right perspective and see them as God sees them. Because remember, Jesus faced the worst that there was in life. And he's the one we're holding on to. Okay, so we, we have to say, maybe there's some feelings in you. If only this would happen, I'd be happy. If only my circumstances would change. No, God says, I want you to be happy where you are right now with your life. Okay, you might be afraid of the future. That's another one. And that's a, a root that you need to deal with. So, to uproot sin, to get to the heart of those things, we need to do three steps. Okay, we, would, we are told we need to put off our old self, we need to renew our minds, and we need to put on the new thoughts, the new ideas, the new beliefs that come through Christ. That's the process. 
Okay, it's a process. It's active. Put off, renew your mind in the truth, put on. That's how you weed. Have you ever seen somebody who has weeds in the grass and they just get the lawn mower and mow the lawn? Do the weeds disappear? No. They're still in the grass because you have to get down on your hands and knees and pull, out, pull them out from the roots. And that's what happens when you really get help for depression. It's not weak to get help. It's wise because you can get to the root of that depression and work out why it is that you feel like this and replace it with good things. Um, I'm not going to deal, well, okay, let me just deal with that one slide. The biblical prescriptions for depression. Um, first of all, we need to look at ourselves hard and long and say, is there sin in our lives? You know, David, in, in Psalm 42, Psalm 32, sorry, he speaks about his sin and how it actually affected his, his health, how it actually made him, um, I actually just put it here, Psalm 32, it actually made him sick. And, and he basically starts Psalm 32 like this, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And what he ends up in is he speaks and he says, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad. You righteous, sing, all you who are upright in heart. So he doesn't stay in that place of sin and say, Wretched person that I am. He confesses his sin and then there is, there is refreshment. It's the same with the woman in, in Luke 7 who brings her tears. She's a prostitute. She brings her tears to Jesus. She wipes his, his, his feet with her hair and her tears. And Jesus says, peace be with you. Your sins are forgiven. Peace be with you. Your faith has saved you. If, if we have sinned in response to our depression, confess those sins to God. Preach to yourself. Meditate on God's goodness. Keep seeking the Lord in your depression. Don't stop. If you have been sinned against, if the cause is injustice, something terrible has been done to you, read Psalm 37 and Psalm 73. That will speak to your heart. Because injustice is real, okay? And if you've been sinned against, you, you don't want to let that bring you down. Read those Psalms and pray them. If the cause is exhaustion or sickness, maybe you need to see a doctor. Maybe you need to look after your body more carefully. You need to watch what you eat, exercise, go back to basics. Go off your devices, your technology. Don't mess with your chemicals in your brain. Remember them all, serotonin, endorphins, um, oxytocin, um, dopamine. Don't mess with them. Don't be on social media too much. And whatever you're the cause, look to the cross. You need rescue. Just remember that Jesus, if we can just go to the last slide in this, 
there is a way up when you're down. Maybe just, you can go down, love. I think we've run out of time. I don't want to go over time. But Jesus is your hope. He is the way up when you're down. You can bring your pain to him. You know, like that woman did, who came and brought her tears to the Lord. You can bring your pain to him. Remember that there is nothing that you go through that Jesus has not been through before you. He's the one holding the rope. He is the rope. Okay? And you need fellow Christians. You need people to come around you and encourage you to help you take the next step. So fill your life with God's word and God's people. Don't be filled with worry. Overflow with worship. Praise God, even when your feelings aren't there. Praise Him just because you know it's right. And believe, trust, that God will turn your sorrow into great joy. That's what I want to leave with you today. If He could turn the cross, the terrible evil of the cross, into the greatest thing ever, salvation, He can do the same with your sorrow, with your grief, with your depression. He can turn it into joy. But you need to turn to Him. And I would encourage you to the the sheet that I've given you, we're going to use it again next week. So um, don't take it with you, rather leave it here. But at the back, I've put my number there, I've put my WhatsApp details. If you want to see somebody, if you want to get counsel, I'm happy to come to the school here or to the the, uh, Mahao Center and counsel you. But what is important is that you get to the heart of it, you get to the root of it, and you put your trust in the only one who can save you from this situation. Next week, we'll be looking more at just worry and anxiety, and, um, and that's something that afflicts us all. But we're going to look at what the Bible prescribes for that and, and how we can, we can um, have hope in anxiety and, and worry. Okay, so I haven't left time for questions, unfortunately. But can I just pray with you all now and then say that if anyone wants to talk to any of the leaders now, please just come afterwards and come and talk to us. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we we thank you so much that you are the source of peace. You are the source of purpose for us. You give us the power to live a victorious, vital, healthy Christian life with good mind. Thank you, Lord, that you have not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Lord, we pray that you would help us to take our eyes off ourselves, take our focus off our troubles, our situation, our measly solutions, And help us to look up and see you. Help us to imagine that there is sunlight above. There is perspective. Lord, give us perspective on our our troubles. Help us to see that all suffering can be fruitful. And Lord, most of all, I pray that for anyone here who has not had their sins forgiven, has not come to you for pardon, that you would make this the day that they bow before you and cry to you and ask you for pardon, for forgiveness. And I pray that times of refreshing would follow. And that, Lord, you would show all of us what the root is of our despondency and despair. Help us to trust only in you and to be like that tree planted by
by the stream in the desert, whose leaves are always green, who has no fear when the heat comes and is not anxious in a year of drought. We pray this in your precious name, Lord Jesus, the one who holds us, the one who pulls us up, the one who has come to fetch us from the ravine below. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everyone. It's lovely to have you. We'll see you all back here to grade 8 to 12 next week. Um, thanks. Um, do, you want, do you want them to take the papers and bring them back? Because um, I might have written in them. If, you've taken, if you want to take your paper, go for it. We'll print in extra for next week. Right. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, guys.
Press it twice. This is what you call a picnic issue. Problem in chair, not in computer. Sorry at the end, I, I was like I needing to just get, get through it, so I was just saying, just go to the last one, but you didn't even know which no, was the last, the last one. one. It was the one before the worry, but it's fine, because it didn't really, it, it, I just spoke it, it's fine. There's a sweet in it, there's a sweet in it. There. Oh, there you go, thank you. Uh, do we need to lock the upstairs? Well done, sweetie. Thank you, thank you for doing that, Helen. I really appreciate it, it's horrible to have to... Is that yours? No, that's actually Garrett's, I think. Yeah. Oh, I think he was taping it. Oh, Lauren, this is Garrett's phone. Just carb a light before you hit. Lauren, I think this is Garrett's. It probably is. Oh, he was recording your talk. Oh, okay. Okay. I should turn that off. No, you don't. Thank you. We're all good. Thank you so much.